Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. It is Wednesday, June 9th, and we have a very important episode today. We're going to watch a film that neither of us have seen, entitled The Day Facebook Ruined the Internet. How are you this morning? I'm doing quite well uh, on this beautiful morning in Colorado. How are you doing, David? I'm doing okay. Uh, So this just came out this morning at 5 a.m., and it touches on a topic that I've been talking about a lot, and I think that I don't feel like I invented this take because it's pretty obvious, but I've been saying this a lot. The difference between a movie or a book or a newspaper article is that if we reference any of traditional media we think that we're seeing the same thing. In Top Gun, we see Maverick and the F-14 Tomcats. You know, in A Confederacy of Dunstans, we have that one guy that eats the hot dogs walking around in New Orleans. I mean, every book is the same. The thing with Facebook is we sort of think of it as a monolith, but it's different for each and every one of us. And that's because the algorithm tailors what we see on Facebook to our personal preferences. And this film, I think, is going to discuss that in length and in depth. And you've told me many times, you say, the Facebook to me is going to be very different than the Facebook to you, even with the same story. Mm-hmm. Because you could you can spin a story a different way, and then once they know how you think, they'll spin that story and tell you what you want to know. They'll tell me what I want to know. Mm-hmm. So Facebook to me is what I want to know. And Facebook to you is what you want to know, even with the same information. Yes. And I never thought of it until you brought it up. And the more I think of it, it's very logical. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's going on. And so Facebook uh, is not, it is news, but it's news for you. And so therefore, it it really changes uh Changes information. Yes. And now I must say that the New York Times has this posted on their website. We may get this video taken down for a copyright strike. Although I feel like watching it and then commenting on it in real time should be an example of what they call fair use. However, sometimes in practice, things don't work that way. So hopefully you all are seeing this and hearing this because we're going to take a look at the film now. And it's often like when we read articles. When we read New York Times articles, the the videos don't get taken down. But this one may because it is a piece of media and they can do content ID against it. So we're challenging it. Yes, we're challenging it. And I think that we do need to pause during the video and add our commentary and our our two cents, more or less, so that we can sort of add something to the experience. We're not just reacting to this video. We're we're commenting on it. We're adding commentary and analysis, which sort of makes us watching the video on stream fair use. So shall we take a look at the video? Uh, yes, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. This is from the New York Times. Today's web edition, uh, 6-9-21. Facebook newsfeed Zuckerberg.html. Um, that's the URL. You can see it in the upper part. I'm just going to play it and uh, we'll pause it when something interesting happens and discuss it. So if you see something you want to talk about, just say pause and I'll pause the video. Sound good? Okay. Oh, hold on. You need to have be able to hear this. Mm-hmm. So let me just... Share sound with you. Start sharing. And okay. Are you ready now? Mm-hmm. Yep. Here we go. Do you hear it? Yes. In the early morning hours of September 5th, 2006, before the sun came up, Facebook, seeking total dominance of the social media space, changed from an interactive library of individual profiles to a customized, algorithmically curated fluid space it called the newsfeed. And our relationship with the internet and with each other was changed forever. Up until that moment, the internet was a shared landscape. Users were explorers who moved through the space, organizing themselves into communities through profiles, blogs, chat rooms, and message boards. This original framework 
was exemplified in spaces like GeoCities, where users could design totally unique web pages about whatever they were passionate about and intentionally connect with others who shared interests or obsessions. Although, just like the physical world, the virtual landscape was constantly changing, these changes were experienced by everyone together. We were all seeing and moving through the same geography. Okay, that's sort of what we talked about in the lead-up to this. The mm-hmm. old web, we all used to see the same thing, and that's the same thing with when things were published. It was all universal. So I think that, just in the interest of also pausing it, so that we don't watch the whole video without any commentary, mm-hmm. um, a movie or a well, book, for- we share it together. But when Facebook switched to an algorithmic um, system, we don't share the internet anymore. Well, and I think what went through my mind is, is communication theory, where you can have one to many. Now, there's one to many that says you have a statement, you make a statement, and everyone can hear that. So everyone interprets what you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they're saying, they shift it to a news feed to where then it's one to one. So you, you'll tell people exactly what they want to hear. And we've mentioned that, uh, but there is a communication of one to many, many to one, uh, a one to one. Uh, one to a few, uh, but when it's one to one, it's just a communication between two people or between two parties. And so now it's Facebook and you, and it's not necessarily Facebook and the population. Mm-hmm. So let's continue. Big difference. Yes. Big difference. I mean, Facebook is sort of seeing what you like, what keeps you engaged, and feeding you more and more of that. Yeah. So the, so when it's one to one, then that can move into different type of communication uh, uh, objectives. Mm-hmm. And I'd also like to say before we go on, this is a film made by Jacob Hurwitz Goodman. So shout out to him for his work on this film, The Day Facebook Ruined the Internet, available in the New York Times. We'll continue. In the early morning of September 5th, 2006, we were abruptly asked to accept an entirely new role. To sit down, sit back, and have the journey projected at us in a roaring wave of digital consciousness that was at the same time a laboratory, monitoring our choices within the feed in order to tweak our future experiences. So my first project at Facebook was Newsfeed. It was an awesome idea. We had launched Newsfeed in the dead of the night. We were celebrating, popping bottles of champagne. We had no idea what was in store for us the next morning. Reaction was swift and angry people overwhelmingly hated the change. Dissent rallied in a new Facebook group called Students Against Facebook Newsfeed. It quickly grew to over 750,000 members within two days. Now at this point, a lot of folks, both internal and external, wanted us to shut Newsfeed down. But we didn't. Newsfeed was actually working. Amidst all that chaos and all that noise, we noticed something unusual. Even though everyone said they hated it, engagement had doubled. There were more page views than there ever were before. And our harshest critics, the very people who said they hated Facebook, were able to spread the word and organize because of Newsfeed. Okay. Interesting. There you go. Go ahead. You've said many times, David, if you enrage, you engage. Yeah. And that sounded like what they were doing. That's Internet 101. Also, I have this theory. Uh, these people are very smart. These these engineers at Facebook, the engineers at Google, they're very smart. But Facebook, I always saw Facebook. The problem with Facebook was optimize for X and you'll get it. And that's what they did. We saw something very interesting. We optimized for engagement, for clicks, for page views. And when we switched to a curated news feed for each person based upon their interests, a lot of people didn't like it because it seemed creepy. But because it was creepy, it increased what we were optimizing for. (laughs) It's right. When you hire a programmer, if they're a very good programmer, they'll do what you tell them. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get what you want. <laughs> you have to know what you're optimizing for. And I think Facebook was very much about metrics they could present to advertisers, not the user experience. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely, you're optimizing for X1 or X2, but there's many, many Xs out there mm -hmm. that, that could be hurt. Uh, and actually, just again, a thought went through my head. I, I, I may be going on a tangent here, uh, but the, it's similar with artificial intelligence when you allow uh, AI uh, to start making decisions instead of humans, because uh, AI will start making decisions based on X1 uh, and what you feed it. Mm -hmm. And so you got to be careful. You be careful with technology. Yeah. Because technology does not have a soul. And once you feed it, it'll do what it's supposed to do. And it did. Yep. Like, I, I think I saw Elon Musk on a podcast one time. And it's kind of cliche to talk about Elon Musk. But he said, yeah, you got to be careful. Like, if you put, if you give AI all the power in the world, and then you put it in charge of making sure that every human's happy, AI will see that happiness is just tied to dopamine and serotonin levels. And then you'll, they'll plop you on a pod and put a needle in your arm for the rest of your life. And your dopamine and serotonin levels will be through the roof. And according to them, you'll be happy. <laughs> You're optimizing for X1. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Um, uh, so, yes, I do. I think we're doing a good job of adding commentary and analysis to this. So let's, shall we continue? Sure. Mm -hmm. Now, in part because of their anger, users were already spending more time on Facebook. If you enrage, you engage, right? Correct. That's right. In response to the blowback, Mark Zuckerberg posted the following message, quote, Calm down. Breathe. We hear you. We didn't take away any privacy options. This reassurance from on high misses the point of what was really going on. What people were really responding to was a deeper and much more alienating feeling. And it was a feeling we were all experiencing for the very first time. Whereas before, we were all looking at the same thing sharing in a communal landscape. We woke up on September 5th, 2006, each of us thrust into our own new dimension. We were suddenly alone, floating in a space of obscure rules, composed of our own perceived preferences. The content and experience is unique to each individual and also different each and every time you went to the site. On top Pause. of this, for the first time, there was Pause it, David. Okay. Which brings up a very good point. Privacy issues. It wasn't violated in the definition of privacy that we had known before. Mm -hmm. But then now, are there other issues to where we are violating, to where we feed people what they want to hear, and so the privacy is engaging in their, and, and uh, I, 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 the words fail me here. So, when you understand what people's passions are and you feed that passion, that passion and their beliefs can be out of control. Mm -hmm. And so the privacy of, oh, we're going to let someone else know uh, some private, some, some something private about a person. But now what this is doing is that now I have learned something private about a person and I'm going to feed that and enrage it. Yeah. And so they're learning privacy and using privacy against themselves to engage, uh, uh, to enhance the engagement of Facebook. And so there is a privacy violation that in some kind of definition that's people with words better than me. But you see where I'm going with this. Yeah, what you're saying is we change the site and you say this is super creepy and it's an invasion of my privacy. And they are saying, no, we always knew all this stuff about you. And we right. never gave it uh, specific data to any advertiser. We just gave them disaggregated data. Are you between the ages of 30 and 35? Are you single? Do you live in Tacoma, Washington? Are you into uh, the Seattle Sounders MLS team? Do you like drinking beer on the weekends? Do you work in a professional position where you make between 65 dollars and $75,000 a year? Facebook knows all that stuff about you, and it feeds that disaggregated data. That This isn't Bobby Johnson from Tacoma. This is a 30 to 35-year-old man from Tacoma. That And so so when you get an ad, it's like, that's eerie because they already have all this demographic data on me. Well, the problem with the reason why people thought it was creepy was when you would go to the site and you would leave and you'd come back, it would be the same site. 
Now, when the news feed got switched on, and that's what they said in the last sentence before we paused, every time you go, it would be something different. Because I think they realized a static site would cause people to just, oh, I got the gist of what's going on on Facebook. But they said, what if we could switch what you see and feed you stuff that kept you engaged? Well, the thing is, they always knew this stuff about you. And they were always giving this stuff to advertisers. And they didn't violate any of their privacy policies by giving specific data about you, um, the person. They gave you disaggregated data to advertisers. They just sort of changed the way they used it to make it way, way more intrusive. <laughs> so like you're saying, it, it, they, didn't, they didn't violate their policies. And they always knew this about you. They just started using it more effectively. And that's what people didn't like. Yeah. And so they didn't violate privacy policies by releasing that information, but they violated privacy policies by using that, that information to engage you and, and enrage or in, inflame your beliefs in certain areas. And so they could control your beliefs because they keep feeding you that same information because uh, from your demographics and from your, your analytics, they knew that you were going to uh, buy into that because mm -hmm. that's exactly the path that you're taking. And so, and so the that, thing is, me, they're, not that, trying to, they're not trying to control you to get you to believe any specific thing. They're no. trying to control you to get you to stay on the site for as long as possible and engage with the advertisements they serve you. That's, that's the fascinating thing. That's the primary purpose. But there are secondary uh, 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 tangent purposes, transient purposes that that Facebook did not did not rec did not uh, consciously go after. But it, they, it was a result of it. Mm -hmm. And that is people believing in things that they shouldn't believe in. And we get back to optimize for X. Facebook was That's thinking, right. we just want to optimize for user engagement, for the number of clicks we get, for the number of page views, for the number of shares, for the number of advertisers that see engagement in the appropriate demographics. And they optimized for those things, and they got them. And that's what the lady, uh, the engineer that was responsible for Newsfeed said. And the externalities of that, the effects that you don't see, um, they're broad-reaching. Yes, yes. And so initially, uh, for to be honest here, initially, they probably had legitimate uh, uh, in it, uh, uh, what they were doing was reasonable. Mm -hmm. what, they weren't trying to do anything bad and, and it was acceptable and it was respectable. But then the consequences of that, as we see now, looking back, uh, there were consequences that they, they optimized for X. But then there were consequences of Y and Z that they didn't expect. Yes. So I think, and of course, this is a stretched analogy, but I think back to the uh, tobacco industry in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. When I was a kid, even, and I mean, I'm not even that old, but I've heard this, you know, in studying business in the 60s and 70s and 80s, when I was a little kid, the, the cigarettes used to be where the candy is at the convenience store. Like, you know, you'd have the counter where you'd look at someone, and then below that, all the cigarettes would be displayed. And you'd take a pack, and you'd be like, could I get this? The reason why they did that was so that cigarettes would be at the eye level of children. And they would be easier to steal. So it became the easiest thing to steal. Because the tobacco companies knew that the earlier you got someone smoking, and... You know, if children were able to steal tobacco, once you once you pop, you just can't stop. It's addictive. You know, it's there's nicotine involved in it. I think Facebook said, you know, the more you engage these people, they'll get like wrapped up in a Facebook cocoon and they won't be able to get out of our our little web. And so we need to do that. And can you blame a company for trying to make money, for trying to get new customers, for trying to keep their customers on board? That's what a business is supposed to do. Now. We know in hindsight, cigarettes are terrible for you. And we can say in hindsight, there's a lot of negative externalities of this approach that Facebook took. And yet at the same time, I'm sure that um, Facebook has benefited some lives. I'm not sure that you could say the same about cigarettes. I'm sure cigarettes, someone was going to do something terrible and they took a moment to breathe and they smoked a cigarette and it might have calmed them down. So maybe cigarettes have had positive effects throughout the years too, but they're a net negative. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know that I, I'm sure Facebook initially didn't think that deeply into it. Mm -hmm. They said, "Let's optimize for X." 
and they didn't really know at the time. It wasn't like they, they ignored it. I think they didn't, they may have thought about it, but it wasn't on their radar. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, I just don't think you can blame them that much back then. Uh, they said, I'm not violating anything. I don't see anything wrong with it. We're growing. Mm -hmm. And so it was a business decision. And, and at the time, from all intents and purposes, that business decision was was a reasonable one mm -hmm. because they did grow. So I, I can't blame them. Uh, I, I can't blame them for what they did. But, you know, 15 years later, uh, we can see the consequences of that, that probably they did not know at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, once they did know the consequences, did they say the ends justify the means? Yeah, terrible things are happening. Yeah, people are becoming radicalized, but we just don't care. This is so good for our business. Sort of like the tobacco companies would hire experts to say, no, tobacco is not harmful. It doesn't cause cancer. It doesn't cause low fetal birth weight. Um, they say, no, Facebook brings people together. It doesn't radicalize people. It doesn't cause them to sort of do crazy things. But if they try to reverse that decision... Uh, the people who are passionate about their news feed, which they are, mm -hmm. then they'll backlash. This is no, that you can't do that. They don't want it. They don't want. Once you've given them something that they that they love, you can't take it away, even if it's bad for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, they got caught between a rock and a hard place. They yes. couldn't go any further. Now, before we go on, I'll tell a personal story. I got this friend, and uh, I don't know if he's a friend. Well, <laughs> I don't want to name any names or anything, but he's very much into conspiracy theories. Everything is a hoax. Everything is the deep state sort of clawing its fingers into your lives. And, and no one else sees through the lies, but he sees it. And it's fascinating because, you know, I grew up with a, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists, and this guy didn't have any discernible talent. So I think he sort of adopted, don't you see? Don't you see what the deep state is doing to us? Like sort of this conspiratorial mentality as an analog for, I don't have my thing. So not believing what my eyes see and what my ears hear and sort of preaching that there's something going on that everyone else doesn't see except for me is his way to be unique. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think... When you optimize for X and you've optimized X, how do the different personalities use X in their lives? Mm -hmm. One is that, oh, now I know a lot about that subject. Two, now I am passionate about that subject. Three, now that subject has become a religion to me. Four, that subject will bring me into areas that are very unrealistic and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, and uh, militant. Mm -hmm. So you, so yes, uh, they have optimized for for uh, growth and and X, X, let's say. But then how people respond to that and where that takes them uh, is is varied. Yeah, and that's what that's the why that they didn't think about or they didn't optimize for, because the psychology of people, uh, some people will. Uh, that will go down the rabbit hole in different types of uh, directions that they shouldn't go. Well, uh, yeah, like, it's, like it's sort of like if you exploit someone and you're a business, like if you're a cult leader, you know, and your goal is to get followers to give you all their money and join your cult and do whatever you say, and they do that, the externality is that their lives will be worse. But you're optimizing to make your life better by running this cult. <laughs> so, so their plight doesn't really mean much to you. That's sort of what Facebook did in mass, in a way, right? Actually, uh, if you begin analyzing cults, uh, and a cult leader will tell their followers what they want to know uh, in order for them to follow the cult leader, well, Facebook is not lying but they're feeding them information that they want to, to see so that they will follow. Mm -hmm. I think there's some, I'm not going to say it's, it's identical, but there are some similarities there. Okay, and then i got to play devil's advocate because we've been doing this thing that I see people in the media do and I don't like it. When we say Facebook okay. does this, Facebook does that, 
Well, I mean, yes, Facebook algorithmically chooses what's on your newsfeed, but the content is not generated by Facebook. That's right. So the content that radicalizes, the content that causes people to sort of become alienated from their family because they believe something is not true, Facebook didn't have anything to do with generating that content. So That's is the correct. problem with Facebook or is the problem with the educational system, society, the values that are instilled in people where if you give them a sense of belonging, they'll believe just about anything you tell them, even if it's insane? Well, the same thing is true with journalism and news media. And uh, when they select the news to go on uh, to, 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 to report, uh, you select what news items, items do you report? And if you report 80% of one topic and 5%, that 80% is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, start controlling the minds of the people listening. Mm -hmm. And they're not lying. Uh, it's true. Uh, but the content uh, and the way it's told and the sequence in which it's told and when it's told. And so all of that will, will impact people's uh, thought, thought yes. processes. Like if you watch MSNBC, you think the key... You think the key issue in the 2020 election was that Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus was so poor that the situation we're in is dire because he's a bad leader. But if you watch Fox News, you think the key issue is that Joe Biden's son had a laptop and it had a bunch of bad stuff on it. Now, they can't show you what the stuff was on the laptop, but just know that whatever was on Joe Biden's son's laptop disqualifies Joe Biden from being president. So those are the two main narratives of the election. Um, and 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 both were news articles, news, yes. news items. They both were news items. Yeah, exactly, exactly, David. So that's kind of what Facebook was doing to optimize for X. And so the yeah, engineers. If, if you don't watch cable news, but you believe that Joe Biden should in no way, shape, or form be president, when you get on Facebook, that's what you'll see people telling you. But if that's you believe right. that Donald Trump in no way, shape, or form should be president, when you get on Facebook. That's what Facebook will be telling you. That's what the news articles that you receive on Facebook. I guess Facebook doesn't tell you anything. They choose what you see. And right. it's some content creator that... Um, I did see this, though. And this is a tangent. But do you know Twitch and Mixer and YouTube where the video game streamers stream? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you can stream yeah. anything on Twitch or YouTube. Uh, we're streaming on YouTube right now. Well, uh -huh. in monetized streams... YouTube takes, I believe, 40%, maybe 50 Twitch takes 50%. And Facebook announced we're making a big play for streaming. For the next three years, if you stream on Facebook and not YouTube or Twitch, well, I guess you can use a program like Restream.io and stream on all three at the same time. And maybe we need to look into doing that so we can be everywhere. We can be on Facebook, uh, YouTube, and Twitch at the same time. But... That's a conversation for another day. If you stream on Facebook for the next three years, the donations, the tips, the cheers that come in through the Facebook payment processor, 100-0 uh, split. The creators get 100%. Facebook is not going to take a cut for the next three years. And that's a, just a way to incentivize people to start streaming on Facebook because I think they see streaming as a big part of the future of of the internet. And I mean, we're streaming right now on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And if, if the, we were monetizing this podcast and we had people, I mean, maybe someday we'll have 10,000 users and we'll make 500 bucks in, in donations every time we do a podcast. Maybe we will. And if we have to say to ourselves, well, if we go to Facebook and we can take those users with us, you know, we'll get double the money because they don't, they're not going to take a cut for the next three years. So that's a fascinating thing. Yes, it is. And, and they can do that because they have the listeners. But getting back to what you said before about they can select the news art, news items that you want to see, okay, that, that, that issue right there. Mm -hmm. uh, well, my thought is that I, I don't know enough about this, but to me, that's a privacy issue. They know what to tell you so that you will engage. And so how where's the line that's being crossed? You know, how much should they know about you or should they be given everyone the same information or should you be given everyone the all that information about the laptop versus versus Trump? You know, mm -hmm. uh, when when are you crossing the line 
of only feeding people information that they want to be enraged about or, or that they that they're concerned about and that just makes them stronger within society for that for that uh, issue. So to me, there's another type of privacy issue that when you know that uh, and then you start start capitalizing up on it, uh, there are some negative effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone didn't storm the Capitol on January 6th, but which ones did? Uh, they were enraged enough to actually commit that that action. Yeah. So so there's going to be some lines that are crossed there. So people have to rethink uh, with the Internet, Facebook, uh, with all types of social media. We have to rethink uh, some of the definitions that we've had before when uh, we didn't have this technology. So technology is going to make us rethink things. And what is privacy? And how do we use that information? Yeah, it's going to be difficult. That's yeah. I mean, uh, I think that that's true. Uh, Now, because Facebook is operating, I guess I kind of want to get back to the video because we're at 30 minutes. We've gotten four minutes into an eight minute video. But (laughs) Facebook is operating under it's not against the law and it's in concordance or accordance with our privacy policies. Therefore, it's permissible. Now, you see the effects of it and they say that's not our problem. We ha- we're not breaking any laws. So does it does it matter? Um, so you get to that point and it's like, well, they have a point. You know, if I'm selling cigarettes and selling them hand over fist and they say, all these people are getting lung cancer. Are you going to pay for their medical bills? Like, that's not my problem. They made the choice to smoke. Um, I just grow, you know, I just buy the tobacco from the farmers, put it into little cylinders and sell it to them. It's not my problem that they can't stop doing it. You know, I'm just the person that provides the platform for them to 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 smoke. Uh, that and that's a decent argument, right? A libertarian it's, argument it's where a, people should have their own personal responsibility. That is a decent argument, and so within a society, we have to think that and not blame uh, people for something that they're doing well within the the rights, their rights. Yeah. And so we have to we have to change. So you're right. You're very right, David. So John Hinckley Jr., I think he's walking free. He shot at a president, Ronald Reagan. And he shot at a president because he got obsessed with Jodie Foster in the movie Taxi Driver, where Robert De Niro plays a crazy guy that shoots at a political candidate. When that happened, people didn't say, you know what we need to do? We need to ban movies. We need to make sure that Martin Scorsese never makes another movie, that Robert De Niro never stars in another movie. No one said that. And... I, I guess the argument of this film that we're watching, believe it or not, we are watching a film, for those of you, um, called <laughs> The Day Facebook Ruined the Internet by Jacob Hurwitz Goodman, is that when we can all see Taxi Driver and we can all discuss Taxi Driver as an uh, entire entity, we can sort of come to terms with what Taxi Driver means and come to terms with why it made one person go crazy and try to uh, shoot Ronald Reagan. Now, when we all see something different, like you said, it's a game changer. We don't have any common ground with which to discuss how to move forward because our conception of this is different for everyone. So shall we continue with the video? Yes. There was no human. The content and experience is unique to each individual and also different each and every time you went to the site. That's what we're saying. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we're saying. On top of this, for the first time, There was no human individual curating or intervening in our immediate experience. When looking at the site at any given moment, we were now all alone with an uncanny, non-human intelligence controlling what we saw and also gazing silently back at us. Algorithms were now at the reins, reflecting ourselves back to us in ways that the average user could not comprehend. The only ones who could understand what was happening were Facebook's programmers, sealed away in Silicon Valley. And even they could not have looked at your Facebook newsfeed and told you precisely why the algorithm had shown you any one particular image or post at that exact moment. It's important to remember that on that day in 2006, this experience was entirely new to almost everyone. Google had begun testing out personalized search results by then, but only for users with Google accounts, which, at that time, was not most people. 
the experiment of the completely customized, algorithmically tailored Facebook newsfeed was on a massive new scale. This was an ominous and disorienting feeling. A foreshadowing of a new world. Who here remembers Facebook before newsfeed? It was a static homepage. To find information, you basically went to one person's profile, and then another, and then another. It was hugely inefficient. We knew we could do better. Facebook was obviously about people. It's strange to see Facebook so easily dismiss the old model of social media, pre-September 5th, when the internet was a landscape of explorers and self-organizing builders. Communities most certainly thrived in that environment, but back then, users felt empowered to self-organize into those communities. This, from the perspective of Facebook, was simply inefficient. We know the rest of the story. This change, which resulted in a huge increase in engagement and massive profits for Facebook, set the stage for a totally new ecosystem replicated everywhere else on the internet. Today, our online interactions, our search results, our music, our shopping, our hiring practices are all mediated by the feedback loop of increasingly powerful AI. The effect that this has had on us, personally, is to become acclimated to a permanent disorientation, a fluidity of place and position. Okay, I mean, that's a bold statement. The effect is that we have to become acclimated to... Do you feel like 15 years, or less, little, slightly less than 15 years down the line... Is that what's happening? Becoming acclimated to... Disorientation. Uh, we are, yes. Uh, is it right? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, well, you could say the day Facebook ruined the internet. I'd say the day Facebook began changing society, uh, mm -hmm. changing how people, how people learn things, changing, it, it began changing society. It's... It's it's um, it's it's a it's a um, revolution uh, that we're right in the middle of, and so where do we go from here? What what's going to be the end game? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's uh, there's more to it, you know. When you look back and see how it began, when you look where you are today, that's one thing. But the most but but more importantly, is saying okay, here's where we are. It's where we've been. This is why we're where we're at. But where are we going? And what are we going to be doing now? To, to What's the end game? What's the exit strategy to this? Or what's the change? So thinking about what's happening today is one thing. Thinking about what's going to happen in the next 10 years, I think that's something that people have to sit down and start thinking about. Mm -hmm. And we have to rethink uh, how all of this comes together and how all this is used. Yes, I, I mean... It was what the, the by the way, I just want to say this movie is really well done. I like what he's done. Um, yeah, it's I think that the Facebook, judging by their previous the Facebook, uh, their previous actions, judging by their corporate culture, judging by everything that I know and I've seen about them, um, they're optimizing for efficiency, like. Oh, you can find stuff more efficiently if you don't organize yourself. Let us organize for you. It's it's like when someone says, this is a great idea because it it saves so much time. It's like, yeah, it saves so much time for you, not for me. <laughs> you know you know how you'll talk to a salesman and they'll tell you the benefits and the benefits, like they sound like benefits for the salespeople or for the person providing the service, not the person <laughs> using the service. That's true. Um, well, I think that Facebook, their end game is, first of all, don't get regulated out of existence. You know, you don't want trust busters to come in, the U.S. government, and say, no, you can't do this anymore. Because that's, I think, an existential threat to their business model. Now, I think Facebook is seeing an existential threat to their business model where a company like Apple is saying, people value privacy, and we're going to lock down all the things Facebook does to invade your privacy on an iPhone at the OS level. And Facebook says, no, don't do that. Our users want to have... Facebook as a giant panopticon looking into everything that they do. And 
Apple saying, well, let's just give them the choice. And Facebook says, no, don't give them the choice. They don't know that they don't <laughs> don't not want it. Uh, if you give them the choice, they'll say no, but they really do want it. You know, it's, it's fascinating what's going on between Facebook and Apple right now and the most recent um, iOS update where it's like, do you want to opt out of these nefarious tracking policies that Facebook has? And users are by and large saying, sure, you know. <laughs> That's a very good point, David. Very good point. So, uh, I mean, what's, what does the future hold? I think, to be honest, and this is the point I was getting to that I sort of got sidetracked on by just my own ideas, is that Facebook <laughs> will figure out a way to do this without it being so insidious and obvious to the user. Can you tailor someone's news feed where they don't know it's being tailored? They don't see that they're being manipulated. That's the best form of manipulation of all. Can the algorithm grow so good that you don't really notice as a user that you're being manipulated. You just get manipulated. And I think that that's the, I mean, I think that all of us, to some extent, if we use these big platforms, and I would say my biggest use case is, is Google, uh, YouTube, I'll find myself watching stuff. And I'll say, I should be working, but I've been watching YouTube for the last 45 minutes. And it's because that algorithm just keeps popping up stuff on the sidebar that's like, oh, I'll watch this after that. Oh, I'll just get 10 more minutes. Oh, that one's only seven minutes. I'll watch it. So I'm be I mean, if I'm being manipulated too, and I'm a willing participant in manipulation, like what chance does, you know, your middle-aged housewife have? You know, these people that you sort of see them become sort of brainwashed by Facebook. Like I know how algorithms work. I know how you know, personalized information and the information gets served and it still works on me. So if you have no idea of what's going on, I think that you'll, you're likely to be ensnared by the clutches of these, these very smart companies and their very sophisticated algorithms. Well, the other thing too, again, the devil's advocate here is that, well, I want to see things I want to see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to not see them. I think I think the issue is not like, oh, wait a minute, I want that. I don't want them to feed me everything I want to see. No, I do want to see all those things. The problem is, is that, well, what about things that are the other view, the other side, things that I wouldn't normally look at uh, and uh, like both sides of the issue. And uh, that's one thing that that you don't see. And so, yes, it's a news feed, but it's not really the news, because to me, the news is saying, here is the facts. Uh, we're not giving you some of the facts. We're giving you all the facts on both sides of the issue. And so so-and-so said A, but then so-and-so over here said A minus. And this was an A plus, this is an A minus. When you hear both sides, to me, that's news. And they're not doing that. Uh, yeah, but they're, I they're mean- picking and choosing. But you can't give someone all the facts. So-and-so said A. So-and-so said A-. minus. Well, the person that said A-, minus, what socks were they wearing? Oh, that wasn't in the story. Oh, no, we don't have all the facts. That's true. That's and to true. say, oh, you need to give someone both sides of the issue, it's the fallacy of bifurcation. It assumes that there's only two sides to the issue. And that's, I, that's true, too, David. It's a difficult... <laughs> that's right. And, and, you know, we're talking about this. Where this is Sunset Sequoia podcast... We're talking about it. We're understanding what each other's saying, and we're uh, you always have to talk about things and never stop talking because things things are fascinating because they're not simple, they're mm -hmm. confusing, and sometimes they're simple, sometimes they're not. That's not an easy answer. You're right. It's a fallacy of bifurcation. Uh, either CNN or Fox. No. What about the spectrum between the two? Yeah. You know, and so. How do you, again, it just makes me have an enormous respect for good journalism saying, here is the story. Uh, it's the complete story, and you can take it different ways. Well, I think that also the, the fallacy of bifurcation allows you to take two people, uh, both of whom don't have your best interest at heart, both of whom represent... Um, perhaps more powerful and wealthy interests than yourself. And then they argue over their minute differences. Should the ultra-rich 
um, have 100% of the power, or should the rich and ultra-rich have 100% of the power? <laughs> and they're arguing over that, and you're like, well, it should obviously just be the ultra-rich. And then another half of the population says, no, it should be the rich and ultra-rich. And they're representing 5% of the population. They're saying, you have the choice between these two people. Which one do you want? It's like, the one that totally doesn't uh, represent <laughs> you, or the one that still totally doesn't, but they represent you know, a slightly broader proportion of the population. And you say, well, the one that still totally doesn't is closer to me. So no, there should be someone that actually represents you. But (laughs) when you present someone a menu of choice and both people are not on your side, you'll choose the one that's closer to you, even if it's academic, because there's no way that they're going to do anything to help you. That's right. Very well put. Very well put. So all these fallacies of bifurcation and straw man baby, that should not be in the news. Uh, I don't know how you do that, but the news should be uh, fallacy-free and let the fallacy be in the viewer. Uh, But therefore, people need to be educated when they listen to these things. And I think that uh, Facebook, when they had these news feeds and they started tailoring the news feeds to individuals, uh, then what happened was, was that the individuals in society wasn't ready for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't know how to handle it. And what happened was it just ran out of control. Yeah. Okay, so we'll finish off the movie. There's one minute left. Okay. When there's no fixed place to stand, when the landscape is different at every moment for every person, then we, the users, are positioned to feel passive, immobile, and distinct. Islands in a roaring stream of data. The people at the helm of these changes, the so-called disruptors, profit in a world made up of atomized consumers and lone gig workers. Each of us tucked away in our own unique customized terrain, as opposed to actual communities navigating a collective landscape. This is not an accident, and it wasn't inevitable. It is an ideology. Meanwhile, Facebook itself now looks more like a graveyard every day, as the nomads that it created move elsewhere. The Facebook group, Students Against Facebook Newsfeed, is still up. You can visit it. For years, it has been populated entirely by advertising bots, posting blindly on top of one another. A mystical shrine to Facebook's first real community of the new internet. Very good work by Jacob Hurwitz. What's his name? Goodman. Would you not very agree? Very well done. Oh, very well done. Very well done. Very. Uh, uh, first of all, the information was good. Uh, the storyline was good. The script was good. The copy was good. But the the video was was just very engaging. It mm-hmm. was well done. Good job. Good job, Jacob. So I mean, and but it's clearly an opinion piece. Um, Mm-hmm. Now, we did talk about this earlier, and I do want to come back, circle back around to it. Isolating people from their communities, isolating people from their families, isolating people from, and sort of making them sort of an island in the stream that's dependent upon their primary mode of source of information. That is what cult leaders do. So I, we did touch upon that earlier, and it's sort of like, that's a, a tried and true form of psychology, and he's saying they're doing this de- deliberately. So the purpose of Facebook initially was to connect people. But then the argument is when they went to the news feed, then it didn't connect people. It isolated people. Yes. It connected people to Facebook and disconnected them from each other. <laughs> That's right. And the purpose of Facebook, they could say it's to connect people. But really, the purpose of Facebook is to get people to use Facebook. Well, the result, the actual result, was connecting them to Facebook. Yeah. Connecting people was a means to an end. It got people to use Facebook. And then they decided at some point in 2006, connecting people doesn't need to be our ethos anymore. We can get them to connect to Facebook without having them connect to each other. We can get them to tear each other apart, but they could do it on Facebook. That's the same as if they're connected. 
So they're connect. The more they were connected to Facebook, the less they were connected with each other. And as you say, isn't that the definition of a cult leader? Mm -hmm. It's us and them. Yeah. Us and them. Us and them. Well, I don't know what else I can add. I mean, I hope that the New York Times doesn't take this down because I feel like we've had a substantive, uh, we've provided substantive commentary and analysis to this short film by Jacob Hurwitz Goodman. Uh, again, kudos to Jacob. <laughs> Jacob, awesome, awesome film. You did a great job. But, you know, I just want to say we're Sons of Sequoia podcast and it's just, Michael and David, it's just two guys talking about it. Uh, there's a whole world out there, and people need to talk to each other. Uh, don't just talk to Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to each other and listen to what other people are saying, because that's what we say all the time. Uh, so when you start the, when you're ready to go, start oh, the I'll music. Play it that's right now. It's on. Okay, so we talk. Mm -hmm. And everyone should be talking, but don't just talk to Facebook. Sons of Sequoia tagline, tagline is keep on talking, but listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. We'll see you next time, everyone. Bye.